Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Oh, Calvary, it's so good to see you. The Lord is moving and working, and He's here among us right now. And uh, Lord, we bless what you're doing. And we thank you for who you are. We worship you. And Lord, as we spend time together around your word, would you continue to minister to us? Or would you continue to do the healing, the deliverance, the, the saving, the encouraging, transformational work that you do so well? It is really good to be with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be with you together as a family. We pray that for our friends online. We pray that they'll experience community this morning together with us in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we are a people who are equipped and empowered to join Jesus in spiritual warfare for the advancement of the kingdom of God. This morning, I'm going to begin just a short series on spiritual warfare. Actually, uh, where we're going is uh, in the past couple of weeks, I I believe I've gotten an impression from the Lord that he wants us to deal with the cloud of deception that's over our nation. But before we can wade out into that, I want to equip us about spiritual warfare. I want to teach us uh, what spiritual warfare is and so that we can cooperate with the Lord And spiritual warfare is actually a part of the works of the Lord Jesus. It's part of the things that he's assigned us to do. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 to 14. And you follow along in your translation. And I'm going to read to you from the message translation, uh, paraphrase, as you do this. And I want you to keep this reality in mind as we consider spiritual warfare today. John 14, 12. The person who trusts me will not only do what I've been doing, but even greater things, because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. You can count on it. From now on, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. That's how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. Whatever you request in this way... I'll do it. So I'm giving you the same work to do that I have been doing, the same assignment. And so Jesus was giving us that same assignment, and his assignment from the Father included advancing the kingdom of God against darkness, disease, and the devil. The Lord is in the business of defeating darkness, disease, and devils. That's part of the anointing on the Lord Jesus. Listen to Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus In his opening message, as he was declaring what the Holy Spirit had come upon him and anointed him to do, he says a part of his ministry, so a part of our ministry, is to set captives free, is to bring freedom to those who are in prisons. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
So God is raising up an army, and you and I are a part of the army. We're not a part of the audience that cheers on from the sidelines or from the grandstands. We're a part of an army advancing the kingdom of God. We are empowering, we're being empowered and authorized to be disciples who defeat demonic enemies, who heal people of diseases, who overcome darkness with God's light and love and forgiveness, and then we get to wield the weapons of the kingdom of God. They're actually weapons that we get to wield. And so God says, I'm anointing Jesus to do these four things, including setting people free. Jesus said, I have come to destroy. The Son of God has appeared, been revealed to destroy the works of the enemy, all throughout Scripture, the Lord tells us about the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verses 10 through 18. Ephesians chapter 6. By the way, people ask, why do we read Scripture? Why do we ground our messages in Scripture? I want you to know that our God speaks to us through His Word. It's, uh, Dale was talking about dreams and vision and impressions and and, and can you believe God even spoke to him through a sermon? What a miracle. And he can do that for you, right? But the most frequent way that he speaks to us is through his word. Now, again, God speaks in so many different ways. We're not limiting him to his word, but he has given us his word because it's like a North Star to help us to listen to our Lord and, and to pay attention. And the things that we get in dreams and visions and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the fact is they'll never violate this word. Now, they might blow your world up, right? So Paul ha uh, Peter has a trance in Acts chapter 10, and he understood the, the word one way, and the Lord says, now take and eat, and it just blew his theology to pieces. But the, the truth is that was even in the Old Testament. God wanted us to be a people who related to what we call the Gentiles or to people not like us. And so our God's amazing. So here in Ephesians chapter 6, we have a passage on spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take up your stand against the devil's schemes. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms." Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted or shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up that shield of faith which you can extinguish all the fiery flaming arrows of the enemy one, of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keeping on praying for all the saints. So I've just mentioned a few passages that revealed to us that spiritual warfare is a part of our reality, so we need to learn how to fight. And by the way, if you're going to fight, you want to fight in a way you can win. Amen? And so, now don't practice this on your spouse. Don't practice this on other people, your neighbor. Practice this on 
on spirit, it, it names them here, right? It says authorities, powers, spiritual forces. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Wrestling is close quarter contact, right? Close quarter contact. And so we're wrestling, we're, we're doing what God tells us. And by the way, one of the ways that you can tell if you're winning is if you're standing. If you're standing. When, this was several years ago. And I'm a person, I want unimpeded progress. Like when I look at the graph of my life, I want to see it like this. I want to see taking mountains. I want to see taking new territory for Christ. I want to be doing things. And my, my graph was up and down and all around. And I felt like we weren't getting where we need to be. And I was talking with the Lord and actually was complaining about the lack of progress that, that we were having as God's people in the midst of praying for revival and breakthrough. And I got this impression from the Lord. His, his response to my, my, you know, my monologue was, I'm glad you're still here. I said, what? <laughs> uh, where's the next mountain? Where's some new territory? Where's some new thing? He said, I'm just glad you're still here. And he reminded me of this passage, having done all the stand. You see, I've been around now a long time in ministry. And there are a lot of people that aren't here anymore. They've given up on God. They've given up on their faith in the Lord. They've given up on the church. They've given up. They, they, they're no longer standing. And you know, some of those great battle movies that you'll watch where they've got the sword and they've got the spears and everything, and you'll watch them. And then at the end, the guy's the last guy standing. And that picture just kind of came back to me. And you know, he's all tired and bloodied and beaten, and, but he's still standing. And the Lord says, I'm proud that you're still here. And I must admit, it really didn't encourage my heart because I want to take the next mountain. I want breakthroughs. I want the revival that we've been praying for. But you know, the longer I make this journey with the Lord, there's just times when it's just good to be here, right, Brother John? It's just good to be here. And by the way, it's really good to be here together with you where we can encourage one another, amen? amen? Having done all the stand. Four times he says that. Okay, so there's youngins in our midst that want to charge and want to run and want to jump on the mountains, and, and I want that too. But sometimes it's just good that you're still here. You're still standing in faith, in trust, in hope, or the fact you're just still standing and you've not quit, you've not given in. So we need to get trained in the principles and the practices and the weapons of spiritual warfare, we've got to learn how to fight. So what I want to do is I want to just give you kind of a brief overview of Matthew. And I just want to point out some spiritual warfare reality from Matthew's gospel. And, uh, and, and I just want to put it kind of in context that even the reality of Scripture talks about spiritual warfare a lot. The birth of Jesus takes place in a historical context showing that everything before Jesus is actually fulfilled and completed in Jesus, and everything after Jesus finds its meaning and its fulfillment and its completion in Jesus. Jesus is the point of human history. He's the point of cosmic history. Eugene Peterson, as he writes an introduction to Matthew, listen to this. The story of Jesus doesn't begin with Jesus. God had been at work for a long time. Salvation, which is the main business of Jesus, is an old business. Jesus is the coming together in the final form of the themes 
and the energies and the movements that had been set in motion before the foundation of this world. Matthew opens the New Testament by setting the local story of Jesus in its historical world context. He makes sure that as we read his account of his birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we see the connections with everything that has gone before. Fulfilled is one of Matthew's characteristic verbs. Such and such happen that it may be fulfilled. Jesus is unique, but he is not odd. Better yet, Matthew tells the story in such a way that not only is everything previous to us completed in Jesus, you and I, we are completed in Jesus. Every day we wake up in the middle of something that's already going on that has been going on for a long time. Genealogy and geology, history and culture, the cosmos, God. We're neither accidental and nor incidental to this story. We get orientation, briefing, background, reassurance. Matthew provides the comprehensive context by which we see all God's creation and salvation completed in Jesus and all the parts of our lives, work, family, friends, memories, and dreams are also completed in Jesus. Lacking such a context, we're in danger of seeing Jesus as a mere diversion from the concerns announced in the newspapers and nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is, Jesus is everything. And so the scriptures tell us when you begin to read the gospel of Matthew, it shows the intersection and the interaction of the spiritual world and the material world. For instance, you know the story well, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. And so what he's going to do is he's going to uh, divorce her. He's going he's to cut off or break the relationship in order not to embarrass her. He's going to do it privately. And so in the midst of, of all that's going on, God visits him in a dream and gives him direction to stay in relationship with Mary. And in the early part of the Gospel of Matthew, you just see over and over again, there's dreams and angelic visitations and all that's going on. God is actually very, very active in this world. There is a spiritual reality. There's a material reality. And in, in the, the cultural understanding, the mind of God's people in Jesus' day those two realms interact and intersect all the time. But you know, we're from the West, and we've actually separated the spiritual from the material, haven't we? Now, other cultures, everything has a spiritual explanation, and everything can be, uh, can be attributed to God or to the enemy. But in, in our world, we really focus on the material, and we don't think much about the spiritual and, uh, but I want you to know the Bible actually tells us there is an interaction between the spirit realm and the earth realm, and that's real. And one day, as Pastor Steve has told us for years and years and years, God's going to put it all together the way that it was meant to be, and it's going to work right. It's going to work rightly. But the biblical view, biblical worldview, is different than this separation. There's interaction. So, it's interesting to note that you and I were born on a battlefield. Now, I want us to do something that's going to be a challenge. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. I want to give you a homework assignment to read Revelation chapter 12. Right here, now you know that Revelation, there are parts of it that are literal. There are parts of it that are symbolic. There are parts that are giving us picture of what's going on in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm 
and, and it's, it's profound revelation of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. And in this passage, this passage is talking about the battlefield that you and I were born in. So I want to just give you that assignment and read that passage. But, but in this passage, it actually says, verse 17, look at Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So right here, I want you to know, the devil has come to make war against the people of God, the people of faith. He tried to stop the birth of Jesus. And this passage talks about that in symbolic language, but didn't Herod kill all the children under a certain age? Because through abortion and through, through destruction, wanted to stop this king that was being proclaimed, this Messiah that was coming. And the enemy used Herod in that way, just as when God was raising up a deliverer earlier in Moses, God ra the enemy prompted Pharaoh to try to destroy all the children uh, of the Hebrew people. And so I want you to know we're born on a battlefield. We're born on a battlefield, and the people of faith, the, the woman in this passage, she represents the people of faith, God's people of faith, and, and, and there are spiritual things that God does to protect and do, and I want you to know, in the cosmic testimony of Revelation, especially chapter 12, we win in the end, but it actually says a little bit earlier in this passage that when Satan was cast down out of heaven, he's come to the earth. They're celebrating the victory, the war in heaven with the one who deceives the whole world. That's one of the reasons why we're gonna take on deception is because one of the enemy's weapons right now, he is seeking to deceive the whole world. And there is a cloud of deception over our nation, over leaders, over people. And we're, we're going to ask God to help us. We want to break through. We want victory. But there is an adversary that has come to deceive. So to deceive, to disinformation, to give wrong information. And the other translations, the other part of deception is to lead astray. Doesn't that describe what the enemy wants to do today? Well, we need to know how to fight. And we need to know because he's been cast down and he's messing around in our realm. Amen. Yeah, he's in the second heavens, and yeah, there's spiritual warfare, because Ephesians tells us there's, yeah, there are earthly rulers who are being in, uh, influenced and authority figures being influenced by the enemy, but there's also principalities and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. There's this, there's this stuff going on, and it interacts, and we need to know what to do about it. So Revelation chapter 12 just is a great summary of the great battle that's going on. At the time of his commissioning to ministry, Jesus fought a spiritual battle, didn't he? Remember the wilderness? The wilderness, the enemy attacked him. And so if Jesus had to fight, if Jesus dealt with spiritual warfare, and we've read all these passages, we just, we need to be aware, we need to fight too. So we need equipping, we need, we need anointing, and we need the skills to understand how to wield the weapons, the principles of warfare according to the kingdom of God. Now, God uses warfare to teach us how to rule and reign. When Jesus first sends out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he is commissioning and sending them out, and then he's warning them. He actually says there's conflict ahead. There's going to be conflict with authority groups, with religious groups, and even conflict in your own family. There's going to be some more. There's going to be some conflict 
And so he sent them out, the scripture says, as sheep among wolves, Matthew 10, 16. Sheep among wolves. We're going to need God's power, amen, because we're the sheep. But you know, sometimes he makes us like a mighty dread champion, right? So warfare is a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. In the Lord's Prayer, you know, I actually, not too long ago, one of the reasons that why this message got stirred up in me was because I had somebody that asked me a question. They said, does our church believe in deliverance? And I pondered on that one for a little bit. Because deliverance in warfare and spiritual warfare, I mean, that's just kind of the water that I live in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we teach ministry team training, deliverance and anointing three times a year. I teach this locally and all over the world. We're a part of prayer. Whenever you're praising God and worshiping him and inviting his kingdom to come, you're welcoming him. You're displacing the enemy. Just when we're doing praise and worship, there's warfare going on. There's breakthroughs happening. And then we're praying for people that are afflicted by the enemy we, you know, as we teach around here, we're not focusing on possession. There, there is, people are being oppressed. The enemy is taking advantage of people and whatever he's doing, we want to break its power and cut it off and see them set free. And so that happens in ministry teams. That happens when our groups get together in small groups. There's freedom being ministered to all the time. So the answer, if anybody ever asks you, does our church believe in deliverance? Our answer is... <laughs> Because our God sets the captives free. And we get to be a part of that freedom work. We get to do it. We get to do it. So God's people had to learn how to defeat their enemies, possess the land, and occupy the territory. So haven't you wondered why God tells the people, Joshua, I've given the land to you. Now I want you to go possess it. Have you ever wondered, if God's given it to us, why do we have a battle to fight? Well, the scripture actually tells us in Exodus 23, 29, that God didn't wipe out the adversaries and the enemies in the land, or it would have been overgrown with weeds and wild animals. And also, it gave them a chance to learn how to exercise authority, and, and because he's, he's in the business of growing up mature sons and daughters. So we get to practice, praise God. Now, some of us are going... Pastor Jeff, I did not sign up for spiritual warfare. And I would answer to you, um, that might be true that you didn't sign up. But I guess I'm going to read the fine print to you and tell you, tell you now that you're in the family of God, you're actually a part of an army. You're a part of a kingdom who has a king. And he right now is displacing principalities and powers and the adversary all over the universe, and then one day, we're gonna be a part of him putting everything back together the way it was meant to be. Right now, we don't exercise dominion like a theocracy to go in and take over everything, but like salt and light, we actually get to be a part of renewal and re refreshing all things. And so, if you follow Jesus a little bit, you've got a target on your back. The enemy, Revelation chapter 12, if you don't know he's come to make war against you, that's going to be really an interesting discovery. Now, again, I don't want you going around 
you know, fighting everything and taking on every, you know, looking around and there's a demon behind every bush and behind everything I read and all that stuff. I don't give the enemy that much credit. I don't give him that much credit at all. But when the enemy shows up, we need to know how to handle it and deal with it, right? And people are all the time asking me, well, how do we do that? Well, you get to practice. You get to practice. And praise God, you get to practice a lot on everything, right? Our spiritual practices. Dale shared, I was getting to practice listening to God, and there's some things I didn't do so well, but I'm, I'm actually in this season, and, and I, I'm obeying him, and, and look at what God's doing. That's warring against the enemy, right? As we, just our obedience wars against him. So part of growing in Christ is learning how to overcome the evil one. That's what 1 John chapter 2, verse 13 says. It says there's babes, young men, and there's the, the older people. And so in spiritual maturity terms, the young men have learned to overcome the evil one. We've got to, we, that's a part of our progression of growing up in the Lord. So there is an enemy. So John chapter 10, verse 10, again, the, the Bible actually says there's an enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So we have an enemy of our souls, and we're involved in a real war. We have an enemy who sets traps, who tempts us to sin, who seeks to kick us when we're down, and especially when we fall into temptation. And that's one of the things, I hope you know that the evil one is evil. Isn't it, It's wrong when people go through different things that he pours salt on the open wound and takes advantage of the weak, the marginalized, and those in need. And we need to stand up and not only fight for ourselves, but fight for other people. So God wants to deliver us and wants to teach us how to overcome. He wants to show us that he's strong on behalf of those whose hearts are inclined toward him, the scripture says. He wants to teach us, according to Ephesians, how to believe right, live right, and fight right. So the enemy looks for opportune times to attack. So there's vulnerable moments. Like, isn't it interesting that after Jesus has been on an absolute fast for 40 days and 40 nights, no water, no food, that's when the enemy shows up at that point to test him and tempt him. So Peter, at his low point, in the midst of confusion and despair, Jesus says, the enemies ask permission to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you. There was a spiritual attack and battle. And then, so there's vulnerable moments. There's preemptive first strike moments. Like you remember in Matthew chapter eight, Jesus and the disciples get in a boat to go over to the region of the Gadarenes and then the storm explodes. Jesus is in the boat asleep. The disciples can't figure out what he's doing there, sleeping and they wake him up, and aren't you afraid we're going to die? And he, and he calmed the sea and everything, and then went over there, and he dealt with legion. There was actually a principality that the father had assigned him to go deal with in the Gadarene area. And so there was a storm. The enemy brought a storm to try to stop Jesus and what he was doing, and he's so confident in the Lord, he can be asleep in the midst of the storm. Not because he doesn't care, but because he knows who's going to win, Right? And so they go over there and they break the grip of that principality and power over the gatherings and, and it sets free the gospel when these, these demonized people are set free. That's the way God works. Our God is powerful. So there's sometimes the enemy has first strikes and then there's mountaintop experiences. You remember Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, Matthew chapter 16. You are the son of God. 
And, and Jesus looks at him and said, now flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, and he blessed him. And then right after that, he begins to tell them that he's got to go to Jerusalem, he's got to suffer at the hands of people and give his life and die, and that's his assignment. And in the mountaintop experience of this high revelation from the Father, Peter's worldview says, Messiah can't do this. This is not what happens to Messiah. And he pulls Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus and says, may it never be. And what does Jesus have to say to him? Get thee behind me. So we have mountaintop experiences. And so the enemy can sometimes attack right after that, right? You remember Elijah? That was a mountaintop experience, right? Calls down fire from heaven. The altar is burned up and defeats, defeats the enemies of, of God and, and, and comes and, and Baal is crushed and, and, his, and his prophets who are leading the people astray. That was a real big victory and mountaintop experience. And then because he was isolated, I just had a, I was in a conference this week and someone said, did you know that Elisha was isolated from others? And we talk around here all the time about community and the need we have for community. He didn't, God had to tell him, hey, Elijah, I've got 7,000 people who've not bowed the knee to the enemy. Why didn't Elijah know about them? Because he was doing things on his own. He was isolated. He was, he was cut off. And the enemy takes advantage of, even if we're in the mountaintop, or especially when we're cut off from the people of God. And so there are attacks. And then there's counterattacks. In Matthew chapter 12, 43 to 45, when an evil spirit, Jesus says, comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house that I left. When it arrives and find the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order, it goes and takes seven, uh, with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this wicked generation. So there's a counterattack. Someone is set free, and sometimes the enemy will come and do a counterattack. Now, I've actually, this is a parenthesis, I've had people say, so you shouldn't do deliverance for lost people. You shouldn't do deliverance for people that don't come to Christ because the state that they're in will be worse than the former. Can I just tell you that all throughout Jesus' ministry, it says, like in Matthew chapter 4, verse 25 and following Matthew chapter nine, it says these things. And he prayed and he healed everyone who came to him and cast demons out, set them all free. And not everybody, it doesn't say this, but not everybody gave their life to Jesus and followed him. He just did it. He was leveling the playing field and giving people a chance, right? And so as I've traveled through the nations and I've ministered, I've ministered deliverance and freedom to people that were under attack. And because of the size of the crowds and because of all that was going on, I did not have the opportunity to, to lead them into a personal confession of faith in Jesus. But you know what? Jesus had leveled the playing field and I believe he knows how to follow up with people that are set free and give them another chance. And so don't be afraid of the enemy. When we began to do in deliverance, People said, hey, when you cast out a demon in one of your offices, they're going to go get our children and they're going to hit us in the nursery. Are you kidding me? Jesus says they're going through arid places. They're beat up. They're running and hiding. They don't want to be around, right? And so don't be afraid 
Don't be afraid, but also don't be ignorant. There is sometimes counterattack. So we teach people who go through deliverance, or like if you get a spiritual victory over anything, the enemy's gonna keep using the same lure just to see if you're gonna take the same bait, right? I got a victory over a spirit of pornography, amen. I guarantee you there's gonna be something pop up in a magazine or a magazine, I'm sorry, online in social media or uh, on that video. It's going to be a test, right? Be alert. Don't be afraid. Be alert. Don't let the enemy outwit you, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We're not ignorant of his schemes. So one of his schemes, when somebody gets set free and has breakthrough, the enemy sometimes, not all the times, will counterattack. And if that happens, call on others to pray with you and fight with you. Tell them what you're going through so that you can secure the land and the victory. Amen? Another parenthesis, this was years ago, we were doing a a ministry of deliverance, trying to help somebody get set free. And what you do, we work in teams when we're doing uh, deliverance ministry and helping people to get set free of the the affliction and the the harassment of the enemy. And uh, I asked the the person, it just seemed like we'd gotten freedom and we'd gotten total breakthrough and uh, we had finished our prayer time. And I said, hey, I think we're finished. And the person that we're praying for, I said, what do you think? said, yeah, I feel, I feel relief. I feel like that. I looked at the other team members and we were all in agreement. And one of them, a teenager actually was on our team. They were a seer. And you know, there was Nathan the prophet and Gad the seer. This is one who could actually see with his eyes open different things in the spirit. That's one of the reasons why I asked him to be on the team. It's just really helpful to have different spiritual gifts on the team. Then he said, oh, I know we're finished. And I said, oh, really? How do you know we're finished? And he said, well, I looked over there, and I can't remember if he said it was like a green blob or, or what, but he said the green blob went over there in that corner, went up the corner of the wall, and then out the roof, and it was gone. And I said, okay, because I, 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 I didn't have a category for that. So I go home that night, and I'm laying down, trying to go to sleep, got home about 10 or 11 or something after this long time of ministry, and then all of a sudden, there's a face about right here, and I look up, it's my, my son. And my oldest son sometimes didn't stay in his bed when he was little. And uh, we had a problem trying to keep him there. And so it was just the grace of God that I didn't lose my cool. And that I didn't, you know, why are we doing this again? Because I was real tired. I said, I said, Michael, what are you doing? He said, there's something in my room. I said, and I was so tired. I was so exhausted. So I went in his room. And I said, so Michael what is in your room? He said, well, there's a green little blob over there. I said, well, Michael, do you feel good about it or bad about it? He said, I feel bad about it. I said, so you don't think that's what God wants here? He goes, no, that's not what God wants here. I said, okay, so let's just pray. And whatever's not of the kingdom of God has to leave this room. And whatever's of the kingdom of God can stay. And I said, now, tell me what happened. I said, well, that little blob went over there to the corner of the wall, went up the corner of the wall, went out the roof. And then I went to the garage because I was mad as a hornet. That was not the enemy that we had cast out here. That was another demon trying to say, if you keep doing this stuff, I'm going to come after your family. And so I went over his head and I went to the king of glory and talked with him and said, that's illegal Lord, would you dish out to the enemy what he tried to dish out on me seven times worse and prayed a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Does that make sense? 
I'm not scared of what the enemy wants to do. That was an illegal attack trying to get me to stop, trying to communicate. Because I've had people say, you know, I try to get right with God, but every time I do, I come under attack, so it's not worth it. It disempowers them. Oh, Calvary, we've got a God who sets people free, who gives us power and authority, and we've got to learn to operate in that. And there'll be some setbacks, there'll be some difficulties, but we can see God win, amen? Wow, I'm only to page five. Okay, um, well, that's why I'm doing, I thought it was two Sundays, it's gonna be a few more. <laughs> so listen, I wanna equip us long-term we're going to deal with this cloud of deception that's over our country. But we've got to know how to deal with stuff, and we've got to learn that we're in the fight and what's going on. And again, uh, I guess I want to close with this. I want you to know this. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in me as it is in heaven. I want you to know that our focus is not on the enemy. Our focus is on Jesus. Our focus is on our Father, out of the place of intimacy, that's where power and authority comes from. Amen? Power and authority comes from, uh, it comes from intimacy with the Lord. And so we're not rogue agents sit out there to do our own thing. We are people who are obedient to Jesus, and we walk with Jesus. And if we walk with Jesus, there's going to be forces of evil that pop up, and the Lord wants us to know how to handle them and what to do like this deception that's come on our nation. Lord Jesus, would you stand with me? Wow, well, I've got so much to say, and you can't bear it. Lord Jesus, thank you for our, our time. Lord Joshua and I didn't talk, but you just always put things together so perfectly. Thank you for our, our time of glorious praise and worship that was warfare, that you were moving mountains. You were... You are, you are breaking things off of us, and we give you glory and praise. Lord, would you forgive us for our lack of perspective? Lord, would you forgive us where, well, where we've become complacent, or we've gone to the sidelines, or maybe even the cheering section? And Lord, we, we're not a part of your advancing family and kingdom. Lord, would you teach us? Lord, would you equip us? Lord, would you lead us? Lord, we are humbled that you give power and authority to men and women, boys and girls, to do the works of the kingdom. Thank you. So, Lord, I pray for my life and, and this congregation, for those that are online. Lord, I ask you for a new anointing in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask you, you say that you give power and authority. Lord, I'm, I'm asking for a new authority. Lord, thank you that we have the right to represent you. We have the, the right to speak your word. We have a right to declare what you're doing. And then you back it up with the power of God, the dunamis. And so, Lord, we're asking, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, God, we ask you to back up our words with the power of God with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the pinpoint accuracy of the words of Jesus. But we recognize that we are a part of a family that is advancing, and we want to be a part of that. And Lord, I want to ask you to forgive us where we've looked at people as our enemy. Lord, forgive us. You told us to love our enemies, and Lord, we've just about hated them to death. 
God, forgive us that we judge people that aren't like us, that don't think like us, vote like us, believe like us. Jesus, forgive us. And would you help us to fight the forces of darkness that are actually behind what's going on? So that we, Lord Jesus, you promised us that we would plunder the gates of the enemy, that nothing would stop your advancing church. The gates of of hell cannot stop your advancing church. And so would you change our mindsets? Would you grant to us new freedom and anointing? And would you teach us, Lord, you're a great teacher. We want to learn. We're not experts. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're just learning. But we're so glad that we get to follow you, the king of heaven and earth, the king of the universe, the king of glory, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Thank you. So in, in this room and online right now, there's some people that are, uh, there's actually something, I don't know how to describe it, it's an awakening, it's an awareness. It's, you've known all this stuff, but you've forgotten. Others of you, actually as a follower of Jesus, you did not know that this was a part of the package. And would you just say, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you teach me? Lord, help me to get off the sidelines and help me to be a person who sets the captives free. Yeah, and then there's another little voice going on that says, oh, good, I get to go and fight. I get to attack. I get to, and I want to encourage you, do it out of the place of intimacy with Jesus. Listen to him. He's the one that authorizes and empowers. He's the king. You're the ambassador. You do what he's doing, and you represent him, not yourself, or there'll be a lot of friendly fire. There'll be a lot of carnage. So this isn't hard. Jesus says, come follow me. And I'll make you a fisher, a man, or I'll make you into what you need to be. So let's just all submit to the Lord and say, Lord, in this season, we want to learn. We want to grow. Some of you have been doing this, and, and, and would you pray for those of us that have not? Would you pray? Would you just say, Lord, lead us and teach us? So, Lord, we pray. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me and in us as it is in heaven. And Lord, would you equip us and empower us in new ways and in in new graces and in new anointing for a new day. Lord, we don't want to live off the old. We want to live from the place of the new. And so we ask for new intimacy, new authority, new capacities. Lord, would you stretch us and would you change us and would you grow us? But we want to grow. We're not looking behind, we're looking ahead. We're hearing the call and we want to partner with you. And we want to be a mighty part of what you're doing in this hour. Lord, thank you for these friends. Thank you for the people online who will watch this later. God, thank you. May you bless them and keep them. And make your face to shine upon them and give them wholeness and well-being in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.